we are in a series of lessons on the mission of God. And we come to the section that is about Jesus. And I want to introduce it by going back to a childhood experience of my own. I don't know how many of you remember this right here. Uh, this is called the Sears Wish Book. And it was started mailing out in the fall of 1968. And I still remember as a child getting this in the mail and being so excited about the Sears Christmas Wish Book. Now, for those of you who are younger, this was Amazon before there was an Amazon. Okay? I'm serious as a heart attack. I mean, you, you had Sears and Roebuck back in the day. Everybody got the big catalogs. You know, they came to your house. You, you could go to a local Sears and order things, and they would ship it to the Sears, and you'd go pick it up. I mean, it was the Amazon of yesterday. But not only was it the Amazon, but for those of us who were kids, especially when these wish books came out, it was the Toys R Us. I still remember getting these books, and I would sit there for hours looking through the toy section, just dreaming, wow, if I could get that, if I could get that, if I could get that. And then mom and dad would, of course, say, pick out one thing. You know, one thing. Some of y'all remember those days, you know. And, and so I remember the Christmas wish book, and I especially remember this year, 1970. 1970 was a special year for me. You see, before there was a Christmas story in Ralphie, there was a Christmas story in Les, okay? 1970, I was uh, excited. I was 11 years old, and I, I picked out this item that I couldn't wait to get for Christmas. I mean, I could not wait for Christmas Eve. And the item was this right here, a Crossman 766 pellet BB gun repeater. Now, for those of you who have watched the Christmas story, this absolutely makes the Red Rider look like a slingshot, okay? I mean, this thing, first of all, was pump action. The stock would go out and you would pump it. That's how you got air into it. And you could pump it up to 12 times. And not only that, but it used two different types of ammo. I mean, you're talking about an 11-year-old kid being just absolutely so excited. First of all, there were BBs. BBs for, were for the smaller game, okay? This was for things like lizards, grasshoppers, and the occasional starling that came by your house, okay? Now, mom told me point blank, no killing songbirds. And, and what I discovered was I hated mockingbirds. Now, mockingbirds was Mississippi State uh, uh, bird. I believe it is Tennessee, isn't it? I believe, yeah, Tennessee as well. And I hated mockingbirds because if you got near a mockingbird nest, you know, they swooped down after you. Well, I discovered that if you carried this with you, they didn't touch you. They, they were afraid to come by. And then the pellets. I mean, the pellets was far larger game. I mean, in case a lion or a bear showed up. I mean, you could take these things down. And, and I remember this became my companion all the way through probably junior high school. I mean, it was in the corner of my bedroom, oftentimes right beside my bed in case terrorists showed up in the middle of the night. I was ready for them, you know. And, and so when the story, uh, the, uh, the Christmas story came along, I'm like, they robbed that idea from me. You know, they just sent it back further in time. 
And, and let me tell you, that year, from about Thanksgiving till Christmas, it was forever. I'm like, will it ever get here? And, and I, I was reminded of another commercial as I was thinking about the lesson. It reminded me of this one right here. Any of y'all remember this one? 1970s, Heinz Ketchup. Anticipation, anticipation, it's making me wait. I asked Blake to lead it, and he said, nope, not going to do it. Not leading that one this morning. I really didn't ask him, but I should have. But anticipation, you know, that, that really does describe so many events in our lives. It's an emotion that is one of these emotions that we all experience it at certain moments, for instance. I mean, doesn't anticipation describe when you finally get that driver's license and you can drive to school by yourself? Do you remember that? And by the way, in Mississippi, it was so cool because in Mississippi, you could get that at 15, not 16. And uh, I look back on it now, and I think, what were they thinking? But boy, for us who are 15 years old, getting that driver's license, boy, anticipation, yeah. I remember the first time I saw the ocean. I mean, just as I was approaching it and seeing, you know, palm trees and smattish moss and, and thinking, wow, for the first time I'm going to see an ocean. Boy, that was anticipation. What about walking down the aisle with a preacher right before the wedding? Any of y'all remember that? Or perhaps you were the one who was on your dad's arm as the back doors opened up and in you came. Anticipation? Wow. Yeah, that would, that would describe it. And of course, you could add so many other things. Disney World for the first time. Do you remember going to Disney World and you just couldn't wait to get there? And boy, wow, what an experience that was. And a lot of you, how many are going to Disney World this year? Just out of curiosity. All right, still some anticipation going on already. I mean, it's a part of our life. It was part of the life in the first century. And it was part of the life in the first century because of a prophecy. A prophecy found in the book of Daniel. And by the way, if you could have gone into any synagogue, if you could have gone down to where the Essenes were, if you could gather about discussion, oftentimes the discussion in the first century was about a book called Daniel. Because in this book, Daniel had predicted the coming of the kingdom of God. And he had said, listen, there's going to be four kingdoms. The first was the Babylonian kingdom. The second is the Medo-Persian kingdom. The third was Alexander Great and the Greek kingdom. And then people began to debate, what was going to be this fourth kingdom? And of course, by the time Jesus was born, the Roman Empire had taken over the known world at that time. And everyone knew it was in those days that God was finally going to set up his kingdom. And so if you were among the Essenes down on the, on the western side of the Dead Sea, you were just constantly going over the book of Daniel and other passages from the Old Testament trying to figure out what's it going to be like? What is this final battle where God's going to reclaim his creation? What is that going to be like? You go to the local synagogue and the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees are lecturing on it. They're talking about it. The Messiah is coming. The son of David is soon going to show up. The, the forerunner, Elijah, is coming. You need to be prepared. God's fixing to set up his kingdom. And everybody would leave synagogue going, yes, it's coming. Even fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Men like Peter, Andrew, James, John. 
They went to synagogue. They heard the sermons. They listened to the discussions. They heard the debates. And they knew it was about to happen. I mean, the kingdom of God is coming. What's fascinating, if you've ever heard of an ancient writer named Josephus. Josephus was a priest from Jerusalem who during the war of A.D. 66 to 70 used that very prophecy to keep himself from being executed. When he went in front of Vespasian, the Roman general, and said, you're the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 2, and Vespasian believed him. And when he became emperor of Rome, he adopted Josephus into his own family because he thought he was a prophet. Anticipation? Oh, yeah. Can't help but imagine what it was like as those first gospels began to ro roll off the printing press. Well, not the printing press, but, you know, off of it being handwritten. Can you imagine what it was like being in a little group of believers in Judea when Matthew finally unrolled his scroll? When someone said, this is from one of the apostles of Jesus, Matthew, called Levi, the tax collector. He's written the story of Jesus. And again, you know, we're like people who have been to Disney World 15 or 20 times. Maybe the Magic Kingdom isn't quite as magical as it used to be. And so when we open up Matthew, we don't read it the way they read it. I mean, if you can imagine the first time this is being read, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. I mean, for the people sitting there, they're like, finally, God is fulfilling his promise to our people. I think of the first time the little church read the Gospel of Mark. A gospel written that the early church father says was Peter's memoirs. And I don't know if Peter was dead at that time. I don't know if Peter was maybe arrested at that time, waiting execution. We don't know. But can you imagine being in that first little group of believers as they opened it up and they said, listen to what Peter said. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Why would Peter say that? You remember Caesarea Philippi? Who do you say I am? You're the Son of God. And then he goes on to say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And they're going, yes, that was John the Baptist. And it was. Brother Luke. Church father said he wrote down Paul's memories. Of course, Paul had been called out of season. So he, he wasn't someone who walked with Jesus while upon the earth, but he received a special revelation from him. But he still received a revelation from Jesus. And Luke would write to a man by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus means literally lover of God. And he would begin with these words, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. Again, we see that word fulfilled, and boy, it just flies over our head. But boy, for somebody waiting for Christmas to get there, being fulfilled, it's not going to fly over your head because it's so real. In fact, Luke would go on to describe a relationship there near the end. Jesus had been raised. Two, two of his disciples are walking after the morning of resurrection. He joins them. They don't know who he is. He says, well, what are you talking about? And Cleopas, one of them, says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem 
He doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days. And Jesus, of course, very innocently, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth. We had hoped. He would go on as they walked, quoting verse after verse after verse from the Old Testament that had been fulfilled in his own life. And still they couldn't figure out who he was until he broke bread with them. Later that night, Jesus would appear to all the apostles, at least, well, to ten of them. And he would begin to explain how that everything had to be fulfilled that was written about him in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And boy, what any of us would give to be in verse 45. Then he opened their minds. Can you imagine Jesus opening your mind so that all at once you were seeing things on the page that you had never seen before? I mean, it was like words all at once lighting up and jumping off the page, and you're like, that's what that's talking about. That's what David was singing about. That's what Isaiah was predicting. That's what Moses wrote about in the Torah. I mean, anticipation? Oh, yeah. In fact, it was all in the air. I love the way Luke, having thoroughly investigated, tells stories. And I want us to briefly look at three of them. Three stories of anticipation found in his gospel. Each one just building up the sense of excitement as you read through the text. The first one starts in chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. All at once we're introduced to this couple. Zechariah and Elizabeth, descendants of Aaron, priest in one of the divisions called Abijah. Abijah was the eighth of 24 divisions. You see, in in that time, if you were a descendant of Aaron, you were expected to serve at the temple. You would go there one week every six months. There's 24 divisions. And so you would serve about two weeks out of the year. And so if you can imagine packing up, going to Jerusalem... You had quarters along the side of the temple where the priests would live while they were there. And you would unpack your gear and then you'd prepare to serve God that week. Your job might be helping to kill animals, taking the blood, going inside the temple, making sure the the candles were trimmed, you know, the oil lamps were were burning brightly, maybe taking showbread in, I mean, holding up bread as a wave offering. I mean, your job was to help the people who came in to worship properly. And Zechariah had done that all of his life. I mean, ever since he was old enough. So here he is, and and he's serving at the temple. And I mean, we don't know. He probably just kind of did a little bit of everything. And then they would all come together, all 24 divisions on Passover. When you've got tens of thousands of lambs to kill, you need all the help you can get, right? Or Pentecost, or Tabernacles. You see, Jerusalem would swell to over 100,000 people, and so the priests would pour in. And then the rest of your time, as a priest, your job is to teach the people. You see, you're a priest. You're an expert in sacrifice. And so when you sinned in the community, you went to the local priest and you said, okay, this is the sin I committed. What do I need to sacrifice to atone for it? And they would tell you. 
God's blessed me. I want to make a thanksgiving offering to God. How do I do that? Here's how you do it. You go down to the temple and you make this offering. You do it this way. Okay. You see, the priests were the people who counseled the people about their sins. They were the Brian shepherds of the ancient world. They taught the people how to be in relationship with God. But then Luke adds a detail. That, again, if we're not careful, we just read over it and we don't, we don't realize it. But they were childish because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, I'm not sure what very old means. I asked Rodney, I said, do you know the time limit on being a priest? Levites could only serve from age 30 to age 50. You had a time frame on the Levites. Levites were the ones who kind of maintained the temple grounds. The priests were a subgroup of the Levites. And, and I don't know that there was a time limit on them. But whatever very old here means, it means it's well past childbearing age. And they don't have any children. And by the way, children in the ancient world, well, the best description I know today to describe what children were in the ancient world was social security. Okay? I mean, I'm very soon getting closer and closer to something called social security and and people are like okay when do you sign up well i can sign up on this date and what do you get well first i'll sign up for medicare which means i'll get a form of insurance and, and then i'll sign up for you know social security itself and they'll start paying me for all the money i've sent in you know i mean y'all, y'all some of y'all know well how it works and others of you are like won't be there when i get there oh yeah it will at least i hope it will But that's what children were in the ancient world. The text goes on to tell us how that Zachariah's division was down serving one week there at the temple. And he was chosen by lot according to the priesthood custom. I mean, they would cast lots, okay, Zechariah, you're the one that's to burn incense. And, and incense was a big deal. You would go inside the temple, you'd go right up to the curtain separating the holy from the most holy place. And there would be the altar of incense, and you would burn this incense in order to, you know, let it go up before God as a sweet odor, just as it was given by Moses some 1,500 years earlier. And when the time came for burning of incense, people were outside, they were praying, and and there he was inside, this old priest, when all at once something frightens him. You see, he's supposed to be in here by himself, but he feels a presence. And then he sees a presence. And the text that says beside him was an angel who says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. You see, he had prayed for years. Give us a child. Give us a child. Please give us a child. And I suspect he had long since given up praying that prayer. And boy, if you want a lesson and keep on praying, this is an example of it. Your prayer's been heard. Your wife, she's going to bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Boy, you start reading this description, and you're like, who is this young man that will be born to us? He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. By the way, don't let him drink any wine or fermented drink, and he'll even be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. One of the reasons the child leaps when Mary comes into Elizabeth's presence later on. 
And he's going to bring many people back. And he's going to go out in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And he'll turn the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness. Basically the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 is now going to take place. Zechariah is just stunned. He's hearing all of this, taking it in. And he's going, this is not possible. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. You know, as I thought about how old he was, I thought he was probably mine in June's age. Well, my age, not June. She's much younger. There we go. You want to have a child? How can I be so sure? And Gabriel laughs. He says, because you've doubted, you'll not be able to talk until the child's been born. Can you imagine that? Nine months of not being able to say a word. I mean, I'd go crazy. I can't go, you know, a day without saying a word. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever done one of those tests of where, you know, you try to find out what it would be like to, you know, not be able to communicate verbally. And so you just, you know, you just don't talk. And so you have to write everything down or you have to use, you know, some other form of communicating. You know, we have a lot of people who go through that. He goes through it. And for nine months, he can't say anything. Wow. Nine months to think. Nine months to anticipate. And the child is born, and, and they say, it's time to name him. And Elizabeth said his name is John. I, I, I love the chauvinism that comes out here. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Nobody in your family's named John. John, Zachariah, what do you want to name him? And Zachariah gets a tablet and he writes, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Blake, I would love to know what kind of praise that was. I mean, to have a son in his old age, a son who's going to serve God in an incredible way. Anticipation? Don't you know it? Second story comes chapter later. Child's been born and it's time to go up for the purification of him. They've got to offer a sacrifice, a pair of doves, two young pigeons. And the text that tells us that there was a man in Jerusalem at that time. His name is Simeon. Simeon just kind of comes out of left field on us. We don't know anything else about him other than his name. But the Bible says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Here was a guy who had walked with God to, so closely that, that God had allowed the Holy Spirit to have special communication with him. And notice what had been revealed. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can I ask you a question? If God had said to you, you'll not die until you see fill in the blank. For many, many years, my prayer, mine and June's prayer, but mine specifically was, God, bless my children. Bless them to grow up, number one, to obey you, to become Christians. They did. Bless them, Father, so that they would grow up and meet good wives that would bless them in their spiritual walk. They did. 
Bless them, Father, until they could find a good job that they could support themselves and they can honor you in. They did. And then I realized I probably need to add some to that. Because since all of those had been fulfilled, I was like, God may think Leslie's not needed anymore. And so then I started adding, and now bless them with children themselves who will grow up to, you know, I just keep adding. Because I don't know that I'd want to know that God said, you know, once your kids get grown and marry and start having children of their own, then. But that's what he did to Simeon here. Anticipation? Kind of odd knowing that once you seem, you'll then die. And yet, all at once, he's moved by the Spirit to go up. And the text says that he goes up. He sees Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus coming into the temple courts. And he goes up and he takes the baby in his arms and begins to praise God. I mean, can you see it in your mind? Finally, this old man with this little child, and he realizes that the promises of God are now going to be fulfilled. And Mary and Joseph are like, what in the world is going on? Anticipation? Listen to his. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He says, listen, I know now that there's going to be Gentiles who are going to come into your kingdom because of this child. And here we are 2,000 years later. In fulfillment of the very promise made to Simeon so long ago. And so Simeon blessed them. This child will be caused or will be destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he looks at Mary and he says, A sword will pierce your own soul too. And we all know how true that was. Anticipation? Don't you know it? And then finally, there was a woman. Her name was Anna. Anna, we even know she was the daughter of Penuel. We don't know who Penuel is. And so that's kind of odd. But Luke kind of wanted to make sure I've done my investigation. I even know her dad's name. She's from the tribe of Asher, which was unusual. Asher is one of the northern tribes. Most of them had been carried off into captivity. There's not many left of the tribe of Asher. But here was a woman who was from the tribe of Asher. And then notice what it says. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. You're talking about living to an old age at that time. That was very, very, very old. And I, and I tried to calculate it. If Anna was 17 when she was married, and if she was married for seven years, she had been a widow for 60 years. I want you to think about that. For 60 years years she had been a widow and the text tells us something unusual she never left the temple now i don't think that means that she never got out i mean surely she had to go somewhere in order to sleep and somewhere to get food but the point being is that the temple was her life i mean she was there all the time day and night fasting and praying worshiping god there's something about getting older at least for some of us makes us realize that the only thing that matters is God. We're at that stage where all we want to do is bring Him glory. Appropriately so. 
Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Can you imagine this, this old woman there with that little baby as she's telling everyone, this is what we've been waiting for. Anticipation. Yeah. You know, somehow, and I don't know the answer, all the answers to this question, but somehow we as Christians have got to reclaim the spirit of anticipation. I, I think about worship. Can I ask you a simple question? How excited were you to come to church this morning? Or come to the building, you know. Uh, Stan is so fond of reminding us we don't come to church. We are the church. Amen, Stan, we are. But I mean, was there a sense of anticipation? A sense of excitement? I remember years ago, and John Micah was in one of my classes, I, I, I spoke on, uh, or I taught on worship at, at Lipscomb University as an adjunct. And one of the questions I would ask the students is, what preparations do you make on Saturday for worship on Sunday? Anybody want to guess what the number one answer was? None. Absolutely. None. And, and, and you look at it and you think, you know, a lot of us, at least when we were kids, had to polish our shoes, right? I mean, you polished your shoes, you filled in the blanks in your Bible lesson, at least there was some anticipation. We almost lost that. And not just anticipation of worship, but anticipation of serving God. I wish somehow we could get back to the kind of the spirit we had at Christmas time. Or before we went to Disney World. You know, before we finally got that driver's license, if we could just reclaim that sense of anticipation. Another movie at Christmas time is called The Polar Express. I don't, I don't like the movie. It's kind of a long movie myself, and it's an animated movie that I'm not huge on. I love Tom Hanks. I think he's a brilliant actor. But I love the ending of it. Because if you know the story, it's about a boy who goes to, to the North Pole and, and Santa Claus gives him the first gift of Christmas, which is a bell. And it's a bell that he loses as he's going back home, only to have it in a box when he wakes up Christmas Day. And of course, this bell is special because the bell only rings. Well, listen to the quote. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me, as it does for all who truly believe. I wish that was our spirit. Jesus would put it this way. For those who didn't witness his first coming, yes, I am coming soon. To which John wrote, Amen. And come, Lord Jesus. Anticipation, maybe it's time we go back and explore it again. For some, it needs to be the anticipation of obeying the gospel, of becoming a child of God. Many of us could go back and tell when we obeyed the gospel. The nervousness, the excitement, the fear, the realization that finally we're going to do what we knew we needed to do for a long time, I still remember it as if it was yesterday. Anticipation. 
Does it describe your relationship with God? If not, why not rethink, recommit, and reconnect to being excited about what God's doing in the world? And if you need to respond, why don't you do that right now? Together we stand and sing.